0: Okay, last week we uh, we covered the events of the midpoint of the tribulation time, and I want to just quickly review those uh, on your chart. If you've got your chart, or you can look on the board there. Um, there's the the events at the end of the first half of the tribulation, in the in the middle point. There's a lot of things that happen that uh, outline the differences between the first half and the second half of the tribulation. Now, as you understand, as you unfold those, um, as as you break the seals at the beginning of the seven year tribulation, all the seals are broken at the beginning and then the consequences or the events of those seven seals carry out through the entire seven years. So, at the midpoint of the tribulation, we still have the other aspects of the seal judgment, I mean, the seals being broken that are carrying on. So, during the first half and the second half, you have conflicts and wars that are continuing to go on. Now, even though there's a political structure that, can, that is overseeing the political realm of the world and the religious realm of the world, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be factions fighting against that throughout the world. So, you're going to have factions and you're going to have uh, conflicts and wars going on throughout the seven-year period. Also, uh, after you have the, the wars and, and the, that are going forth throughout, you've got a shortage of food or a situation of famine and, and water that carries on throughout the seven years. There are the, uh, the effects of the first four trumpet judgments had effects on the earth, and the consequences of those effects still carry on throughout the the second half of the Tribulation. Also, the death of the fourth seal, that's a fourth of the population that's going to die because of wars, of famine, of disease, and wild animals, and that's going to carry on throughout the seven years. So you have part of them in the first half and part of them in the second half, but over the entire span of the, the seven years, a fourth of the world's population is going to die because of those four things. The fifth seal was the martyrdom of the saints. In the first half, the martyrdom of the saint is carried out by the false religious system, the harlot. Uh, it is a one-world religious system that's imposed at the beginning of the tribulation or prior to the beginning of the tribulation. And the Antichrist uses it to gain influence and power amongst the people of the world. And he uses this religious system that will help him gain his authoritarian authority and control of the world. At But in the the first half of the Tribulation, if you name the name of Christ or you don't accept the doctrine of the world religious system, they will persecute you and many will be martyred because of that religious system in the first half of the Tribulation. In the second half of the Tribulation, martyrdom continues, but in the second half of the Tribulation, it's the introduction of the Antichrist and the dragon as God to the world and the people will worship the dragon and worship the the beast. And if you do not worship the dragon and the false beast and you don't take the mark of the beast, then he will, he will cut your heads off and you will die because of that. So that martyrdom of saints or believers that become, that become believers during the preaching of the 144,000 during the tribulation time, there, that will be a continuation of martyrdom during that time of, of the entirety of the seven-year tribulation. Okay, so in then in the sixth seal was the, the, un, the unfolding of God's wrath through the natural order of his creation, which includes earthquakes, meteors, uh, volcanoes, all kinds of er, uh, natural disasters will, uh, will be the wrath of God upon the world, and these will be periodically throughout the seven years. So you have a blackout of the sun at the beginning. You have a major earthquake at the beginning of the tribulation. But then those things continue on throughout. And toward, At the end of the tribulation, you have the greatest earthquake that's ever been on the earth. So you have these things happening throughout. So it is a continuation of the sixth seal throughout the seven years. And then the seventh seal is the supernatural judgments of God that are carried out as supernatural means. In the first half, the, the trumpet judgments are, are carried out by demonic forces. Uh, the first four are demonic forces that affect the earth, and the sun, and and the the surrounding parts of the created world. The f- fifth and sixth trumpet judgment are demonic invasions. The first is a demonic invasion that brings sores upon the people for that aren't that aren't sealed by God for the five month period, and then the fifth, the sixth, the sixth trumpet judgment. Which is the second woe judgment is a invasion of two hundred million demons that kill a third of the population of the earth. Now the seventh trumpet begins the seventh, the second half of the tribulation, and it occurs at the at the midpoint. So at the midpoint, if you look at your chart, at the midpoint, the Antichrist is killed in a in a battle with the ten kings, and he kills three of them. He is killed, and the others. And then he is brought back to life and the other seven kings submit to him. He kills the two witnesses that are in Jerusalem, and they lay in the streets for three and a half days, and then God raises them from the dead, and they are uh, ascending into heaven um, in front of everybody. Uh, then the kings of the earth uh, again submit to the Antichrist. The Antichrist and these kings then destroy the religious system. In chapter 17 of, of Revelation, it's an account of the religious system, the, the harlot uh, that sits in conjunction with the political system of the earth at that time, that religious system is completely destroyed, and the reason that's completely destroyed is now Satan has been cast down to earth, and he imposes the unholy trinity, and him, he, he puts himself up as the dragon who, who is mimicking God the Father, and then he has the resurrected or brought back to life... Beast or the Antichrist that is mimicking the Son, and then the false prophet we introduced last week in Revelation chapter 13, which is mimicking the Holy Spirit. So you have Satan's unholy trinity in which he is worshiped, and the beast is worshiped, and the false prophet points for everybody to worship the beast and the image of the beast. The image of the beast is in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. It is the abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel that occurs at the midpoint of the tribulation. And so at the same time that he puts an end to the religious system of the world, he puts an end to the Jewish sacrificial system in Jerusalem. They were granted that ability to have a sacrificial system at the beginning of the tribulation. In fact, that's the covenant that was signed by the Antichrist in Israel was to allow them to have temple worship whereas the rest of the world had to be imposed with the other religious system of the world. In both cases, the religious system of the world and the Jews, the one thing that's in common is the rejection of the name of Jesus Christ. So the world system of religion rejects Christ. So anyone that was part of the Christian religion or the Christian uh, Christendom, which would be the Catholic Church or any other church that is not a true church, they would have apostatized. This is the apostasy that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that you cannot be into the tribulation time unless two things happen, the, the uh, revelation of the Antichrist, the lawless one, and the apostasy. The apostasy is when the Catholic Church and all the other Christendom churches that are not part of the true raptured church, they will apostatize and drop the name of Jesus and deny that He is the Son of God and deny that He is the Christ. And therefore, the one world religious system will have a rejection of Jesus Christ, which is the, the message and the program of the Antichrist. And then the Jewish people who have already rejected Jesus will be allowed to have their own temple worship for, at, for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says at the midpoint of that week, the midpoint of the seven years, he puts an end to the sacrificial system. He comes into the temple and he places his image in the Holy of Holies, and that is the abomination of desolation. And the false prophet in chapter 13 causes all people to worship him. Let's just read as we conclude this ending of the middle point of the tribulation and look toward this, the second half. Let's just read in chapter 13 of Revelation, which is the, the midpoint of the tribulation. So beginning in, in chapter 13, we'll just read the, the entire chapter. Speaking of the beast of the, the dragon, and he stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having 10 horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and his head were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. Now this beast is the embodiment of all of the Gentile kingdoms that were mentioned in Daniel chapter seven. So if you remember when Daniel had the vision, Daniel chapter 7, he saw four beasts coming up out of the sea. And the four beasts are representing of the four Gentile kingdoms that were going to trodden down Jerusalem. Beginning with Nebuchadnezzar, then you had the Medes and the Persians, and then you had the Grecian Empire, and then you had the Roman Empire. And so these are the four kingdoms that were designated by God to judge Israel because of their sin and their, their idolatry. And the last one will be the this beast that coming out of the sea will embodiment all of the others combined. He will be the epitome of it, and he will be the ending of the Gentile kingdoms. It says in verse three, and I saw one of his heads as he had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed, and followed after the beast, and they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to wage war with him? So this is that pre that prince is to come mentioned in Daniel chapter nine. He is the prince who is to come, who, who who signs a covenant with Israel, allowing them to have temple worship. He is the last ruler of the Roman Empire, the extension of the Roman Empire. He is the last ruler of the times of the Gentiles before Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth. So this is the beast he's talking about. This is the same one that is speaking of, that is that Paul speaks of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is the lawless one. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it, being the day of the Lord or the beginning of the time of tribulation, will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now if you remember in Second Thessalonians, Paul is addressing the question that the Thessalonian church, some of them had been told that they were already in the day of the Lord. They were already in the tribulation time. And Paul is saying you cannot be in the tribulation time unless these two things have happened. The Antichrist, the lawless one has been revealed and the apostasy has happened. So if these two things will happen at the beginning of the tribulation and if if you can't be in the tribulation unless these things are obvious. It says in verse 4, the the lawless one, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Then down in verse 4, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. He is not taken out of the world. He is taken out of the, the position of restraining this program of the Antichrist from going into effect until the church is complete. So the thing that will happen is in Romans chapter 11 when the fullness of the gentiles comes in that means there is an exact number that is included in the elect of the church when the last one comes in and the fullness is the church is completed then God will turn his attention back to Israel he will seal the 144,000 Jewish witnesses to preach the gospel of the kingdom during this tribulation time, the, urge, the, the church will be raptured out, and that's what he's talking about here. Then the Holy Spirit will no longer restrain Satan's program of bringing in the Antichrist and his kingdom for the last seven years of this age. Does everybody understand that? Okay, so, and, and, and again, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay, so in verse 8, "...and then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming." So the lawless one will be revealed, and He will sign a covenant with Israel... And at the end of the seven years he will be slain by the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence that they might believe what is false. So here's talking about this person of the Antichrist. Now the same person is the one described in Daniel chapter 7 as the last little horn that comes up out of the time of the end of the Gentile kingdoms. In chapter 7 of Daniel, verse 23, it says, "...the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it." As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. And he will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So here we have the same thing that's recorded in Revelation 13 is what was recorded in Daniel chapter 7 about this Antichrist figure. And he says he is the beast that comes up. He, his, his fatal wound was healed. So he's brought back to life. And because he's brought back to life and he is empowered and given this power from Satan, the whole world is in amazement. It says there, it says the world, the earth, and, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who was like the beast? Who was able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. So here he has been given the authority to be the God of this world or the king of this world or the ruler of this world for 42 months. The same as the times, times, and a half a time is three and a half years. The final three and a half years is about to begin. And we're going to begin this final three and a half years with the revelation of the third woe judgment, which is the seventh trumpet judgment, which is the unleashing of the unholy trinity upon the earth. Satan has been cast down to to earth. Uh, It's in chapter 12. He was cast out of heaven, so he no longer has access to go before God and to accuse the brethren. He's cast down to earth. He knows his time is short, and he goes in full fury to try to annihilate the Jewish people, to, to destroy any of the working of God that's coming and try to prevent the Son of God from coming back and taking over the kingdom of the earth. So here we have the unleashing of this Antichrist and his political and his religious structure. If It says in verse 7, It was given to Him to make war with saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to Him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship Him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world and the book of the life of the Lamb who has been slain." In verse uh, 11, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon, and he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed, and he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven on to the earth in the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell in the earth the cause of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell in the earth to make an image to the beast ...who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast... ...that the image of the beast might even speak... ...and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all the small, the great, the rich, and the poor... ...and the free men and the slaves... To be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead, and he provides that no one should be able to to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number's name. And here is wisdom: let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and its number is six hundred and sixty-six. So here you have the false prophet that is that comes upon the earth, and he causes people to worship the beast. And to worship the beast means you take the image of the beast or you take the mark of the beast, which is a sign that he is your God. If you take the mark of the beast, you are signifying that the Antichrist and the dragon are your God and you worship them, even though the message is going forth throughout the world that Jesus Christ is the Lord God. So you have two exact opposing beliefs and teachings and preachings Going forth in the nation, you have this Antichrist and this false prophet who have power to do signs and miracles and wonders and to deceive the whole world. And if it wasn't for God's election, all the world would worship Him. But only those who are chosen before the foundation of the world and enter into the Lamb's book of life will not receive the mark of the beast because they will not worship the Antichrist. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, we know this person to be the false prophet because in chapter 19 of Revelation, it says, and the beast was seized, in verse 20 of Revelation, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image, and these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Now, in verse 20 of 19, It calls this the second beast, it calls him the false prophet, and he causes all men to worship the beast and to take the image of the beast and take the mark of the beast. And it says here that they're both cast alive into the lake of fire. Now we'll get to this when we get to the end of the time and we talk about the final judgment in the lake of fire. But the false prophet and the beast, and the beast, if you'll remember back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, who was slain, by the breath of the Lord at His coming. So we know that at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, He kills the false prophet and the beast. But everyone that goes to the lake of fire has to go before God's judgment. The great white throne judgment is a judgment where every person that's from Cain to the last unbeliever in the kingdom age that dies will appear before the great white throne judgment and their works will be judged and they will be cast in the lake of fire. But here you have the false prophet and the Antichrist cast alive into the lake of fire before the thousand-year kingdom, before the great white throne judgment, which means that Jesus Christ resurrects them into a body that can withstand the lake of fire and he judges them on the spot and casts them alive into the lake of fire before anyone else is there. So for a thousand years, the Antichrist and the false prophet will have inhabitants in the lake of fire before anyone else. Okay, that was just a side note. We'll get to that when we get to the great White Throne Judgment. Okay, so that brings us to the beginning of the second half of the tribulation. All those things happen right before the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, and it looks really, really bad, right? I mean, it looks bad. You've had all the wrath of God in the first half of the tribulation poured out and the judgments that are being carried out, and now you have Satan and, and the false prophet and the, and the beast are in total control of the world. They are in control of the political structure, they're in control of the economic structure, they're in control of the religious structure. Everybody is amazed by this person and this dragon, and they're going to worship him because they're deceived, and they all fall down and worship him take his mark, except those who are elect of God. Okay? So as this second half begins, this third woe judgment, which is the unleashing of the unholy trinity, is... What's going on? And Satan's agenda, as we saw here in chapter 12, he said uh, he has, the, the dragon has a short time. He was thrown down to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child, and that means he persecuted Israel. And the two wings of the great eagle were given, verse 14 of chapter 12, were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness in a place where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time, so Israel, the people that lived in Jerusalem, that saw the resurrection of the two witnesses, which was the last sign of Jonah. You know what the sign of Jonah is. It's a sign of resurrection. And Jesus said to the Jews, you will, you will have no more sign given to you except the sign of Jonah. So at the, at the time of the resurrection of the two witnesses, that was the last manifestation of the sign of Jonah for the Jews to believe. And so many of the belie- of individual Jews began to believe. And the ones that, that believed believed fled into the wilderness to escape the persecution of the, of the dragon. The dragon is wanting to annihilate Israel. It was a prophecy made in Isaiah that the only way you could stop the kingdom of God or the, the program of God from continuing is to annihilate God's people, the Jews. And unless God's people, if God's people were annihilated, then God's program would cease. And Satan is trying to annihilate the Jews, and so that's his... That's his his program for the second half. So the second half begins with this fury of the Antichrist, I mean the fury of the Satan and the Antichrist program and the false beast program, the mark of the beast, all those things are happening, and that leads us into the second half of the tribulation. And it sounds really bad. So we get to chapter 14 of Revelation, and you have here several pronouncements from heaven. And these pronouncements are at the beginning of the second half to give comfort to the reader that the program of Satan will not succeed. Okay? That's the point of this chapter 14, is to give pronouncements that Jesus Christ will be victorious. And the first one he gives is a vision that John has of the millennial throne and the millennial kingdom. Verse 1, chapter 14. And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, with Him 144,000, having His name and the names of His Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunders. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song and before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women for they kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the lamb and no lie was found in their mouth and they are blameless. Now the 144,000, if you remember back in chapter seven, were 144,000 Jews 12,000 from 12 tribes of Israel that were commissioned and sealed by God to proclaim the gospel. Why would that be necessary? Because the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the church has been raptured up to heaven, and now God turns His attention back to the 70th week of Daniel. Remember in Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks were for Israel not for the church, they were for Israel to bring in the fulfillment of all the promises to Israel. And the first uh, 69 weeks, the first 483 years were accomplished with Jesus Christ coming as Messiah and presenting Himself to the Jewish people as their Messiah. And they rejected Him. And so the Messiah was cut off, the people, the Israel was, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and they're still waiting this last week of Israel, the last week of, of Daniel's prophecy. And this is the tribulation time. And so during that last week of Daniel, he turns his attention back to the Jews and the Jews are are grafted back into God's program of proclaiming the gospel message, proclaiming the message of eternal life. They're grafted back in and the first fruits of that grafting back in is the 144,000. And they're grafted in at the beginning of the tribulation and they proclaim the truth of the gospel throughout the seven years. And this is a picture of them. Having completed their work, standing on Mount Zion, the new, Jeru- uh, the, the, the re- renovated Jerusalem and the throne of God at the kingdom at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Now this is uh, Matthew tw- Matthew twenty five. You have a picture of Jesus coming back and sitting on His throne. Now Jesus' throne is a Davidic throne because He is going to rule over the people of Israel on David's throne. David's throne is an earthly throne in Jerusalem on this earth. Right now Jesus is sitting on God's throne at the right hand of the Father, but His kingly throne is a Davidic throne that's going to be in Jerusalem. It says in in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 31, "...when the Son of Man comes in His glory..." This is chapter 19 of Revelation. When you see Him coming out of heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we come with Him. But when the, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. So here you have... What we had in in the beginning of the book of Revelation as a scene in heaven where you had the the 24 elders and all the angels around the throne, now that scene has transferred to earth and Jesus is on his earthly throne, the Davidic throne, and that's the vision that John John is recording in, in Revelation chapter 14. It's this throne that he's going to sit on and we'll talk about that judgment that comes when we get to the end of the tribulation. But in chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, he gives a victorious vision of the 144,000, which are the first fruits of the remnant of Israel that will be saved during the tribulation time. These are the first fruits that God called out of of Israel's nation or Israel's people that's going to be restored for the kingdom edge. Now, we, we read in Zechariah chapter 13 where Two-thirds of Israel will be killed and the third will be tested by fire and then they will believe and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the 144,000 are part of the first fruits of that remnant that will be saved at the end that will go into the kingdom age. Okay, So here you have this vision of these men that were 144,000. Now I don't believe that these have died and gone to heaven. I believe that they're still in their physical bodies. Most of the time when it talks about those who have been martyred and gone to heaven, they wear white robes, referring to they are in their either spirit beings or they are uh, resurrected in their glorified state. I think these are the first fruits of of the remnant of Israel that will be in their physical bodies in the kingdom age and produce offspring during the kingdom age. Okay, any questions? You're ahead of me. Just hold on. All right, you're ahead of me. At the, at the, the point is that the throne of God, the throne of Jesus Christ will be in Jerusalem and the angels will come back with him to uh, be with him during the time he is on earth for the thousand years. All right, the second pronouncement we have in uh, chapter 14. This is what Josh uh, was talking about. "...I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people, and said with a loud voice, fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water." So while the Antichrist and the false prophet are telling people to join up, take the mark of the beast, worship the dragon, and worship the beast and believe in their message, there's an angel from heaven declaring the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have, there won't be anybody sitting on the fence. You won't be having people that are, I'm in the middle, I'll just go either way. No, no, no. You either take the mark of the beast and go with the Antichrist, or you don't take the mark of the beast because you are elect of God and you believe in the message of the angels and the message of the 144,000. You're either going to follow Jesus Christ and possibly, probably die, or you're going to follow Antichrist and be doomed. That's the choice. And the world, the people that are not elect of God will all be (laughs) deceived and follow the Antichrist. And that's going to be the truth of it. So then, that that pronouncement takes place at the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, along with his other. And then then he says in verse 8, Another angel, a second one, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Babylon is a rebuilt city in current Baghdad or current Iraq. It is the place of the Tower of Babel, it is the place of the seat of Satan's one world kingdom that he wants. He wants to be ruled, he wants to be worshiped by the world. He finally attains to this place or this point where the whole world will worship the dragon and the beast and his headquarters will be in the rebuilt city of Babylon. So Babylon, the actual city of Babylon, will be the city that will headquarter all of the political and economic structures of the Antichrist system during the tribulation, especially the second half. Okay? And here he says that there's a pronouncement that this Babylon, this network of, of this city of, of his uh, ruling will be completely destroyed. Now, we, there's so many verses in the Old Testament dealing with uh, the prophecy about the impen- impending doom of Babylon. I'm just going to read a couple uh, to show you that it has never happened to the degree that it's prophesied that it's going to happen. In Isaiah chapter 13, and you can go through a lot of verses in Isaiah and a lot of verses in Jeremiah that deal with this, but in chapter 13 of Isaiah, verse 19, it says, And Babylon, the beauty of the kingdoms and the glory of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. That hasn't happened yet. You can go right now to where Babylon is and people are living there. It's current current day Baghdad. Uh, the people of Iraq live there, but there's coming a day when it will be like Sodom and Gomorrah, and it will be completely annihilated, and no one will ever live there. And Jeremiah again, he speaks of that again in Jeremiah chapter fifty-one. And there's many verses in here that you go through and read the whole thing about God's judgment of Babylon. But in verse uh, Jeremiah uh, 51, verse 7, it says, Babylon has been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord, intoxicating all the nations. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are going mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken well over her, bring balm for for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. And then in verse uh, 29, it says, so the land quakes and and writhes. For the purpose of the Lord against Babylon stand to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitants. So if you read chapter 18 in Revelation, it gives the description of the complete destruction of the city of the Antichrist, the capital city of the Antichrist. Now when we get to the end of the tribulation and we're talking about the campaign of Armageddon and the, the, the what happens at the very end, you'll find out that the Antichrist will bring all his armies to the valley of Jezreel, and he will come with them. And he has all of his armies amassed in, in northern Israel to fight against the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And at the time he is in his armies and his, he, he is away from his capital, he gets word that his capital city has been completely destroyed. So Babylon will be destroyed at the end of the tribulation prior to Armageddon when the Antichrist is away from his city, he will hear reports that his city is completely destroyed and the, the merchants of the earth are weeping because their tie-in to the system, the economic system of the Antichrist has come to a complete collapse and all their trade and all their possibilities are gone up in smoke. But we'll talk about that when we get to the end of the tribulation. This is just a pronouncement in chapter 14 that that's, that's coming. Then he has two pronouncements, one for the unbelievers that follow the Antichrist and one for the believers that hear the gospel. In verse 9, first, the unbelievers. Another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, his image, and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast, his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. If you receive the mark of the beast, you're not elect of God. No one who receives the mark of the beast will be able to be saved. Is that clear? It is a clear message that everyone on earth will worship the beast except those who who are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. If God has not chosen you before the foundation of the world and recorded your name in the Lamb's book of life, you will join with the rest of the world and be deceived and join and, and sign up for the program to worship the Antichrist. And when you do that, you're going to the lake of fire. This is for the people that lived during the time of the second half of the tribulation that have the, have the option of either joining the Antichrist or trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, it's, we say they have the option. They're chosen of God. If you're chosen of God, you will be born again. God's purposes will never be thwarted. He has purposed to bring you to heaven. If you've been chosen of God, you will be born again, and you will not receive the mark of the beast. No. Exactly. It it, it is receiving the mark of the beast in some ways is like making a profession profession of faith in Jesus Christ. It identifies the elect and the unelect. Your actions identify what God is doing. It, you will not have to be forced. They're deceived. They believe. Right. Yeah, they desire to worship the beast because they're deceived. So that, that's what we said. In the case of young children, both now, at the time of the rapture, and during the tribulation, you're going to have to leave that in the hands of God. <laughs> I don't know how that's all going to work out. But during the time of the flood, young children died. So I'm just saying, either you're elect of God or you're not elect of God, and that will happen. Now, in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, again, remember what we said. This is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. They will not believe. They will not regret having taken the mark of the beast, even when they are suffering under the final judgment of God. They raise their fists and they hate God because they're part of the kingdom of Satan. So the, the difference really between now and then is that right now there is no visible mark of people who are not. Alive. Exactly. And then there will be a visible mark. Just like today, you have people that are elect of God, that are elect to be a part of the church, as the gospel goes forth and we preach the gospel, it identifies those whom God is bringing to His being, to His person as the bride of Christ. And everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ is giving evidence that they've been chosen of God. Those who reject the message of the gospel give evidence that they haven't been chosen of God and they will perish. Now, you have people that are living today If the tribulation began tomorrow, if the rapture of the church happened today, you have people that are going to be saved during the tribulation that are elect of God, but they're not elect to be a part of the church. You understand? There's a distinct difference between the Old Testament saints before the flood, the Old Testament saints before Abraham, the Old Testament saints of the Jewish people, and the Old Testament saints of the millennial kingdom, there's a distinct difference of the elect of God. The church is a distinct organism of the elect of God from Pentecost until the rapture of the church. And every believer from Pentecost to the rapture of the church is part of the bride of Christ. And they are elect of God to be a part of the bride of Christ. So when you talk about the elect of God, you're not talking about one organism. You can be elect of God to be a part of the nation of Israel as as. A ethnic people that doesn't mean individually you're elect of God to be saved but if you are elect of God to be saved and part of ethnic Israel before the church began you're not part of the church and so the same way with the tribulation you have people that the 144,000 Jews they're probably living today they're not saved today because if they were they'd be part of the church so they have to be saved and born again after the church is raptured so they're saved to be the elect of God to preach the gospel during the tribulation. So they're not part of the church, but they're still the elect of God. So you have the elect of God from history to history, from beginning to end, but the church is that special segment of God's dealing with people uh, from Pentecost to the rapture church. Okay? So the bottom line is in Revelation 14, it makes it clear that anyone that worships the devil and takes his mark And worship the Antichrist will not be part of the kingdom of God. They weren't from the beginning, they weren't before the foundation of the world, and they won't be during time. Now, finally, he says a a word of encouragement and admission to those that are believing. In verse 12, Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and from their deeds follow them. So these are the ones that die at the hand of the Antichrist. These are mentioned in Revelation 20, verse 4. When Christ comes back, these are resurrected. In verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So those who die at the hand of the Antichrist because they would not take the mark of the beast will be resurrected before the thousand years and they will go into the kingdom age with Christ and reign with him for the thousand years specifically those who in the second half of the tribulation are killed because they would not take the mark of the beast. So that's the encouragement in chapter 14, the announcement to the, to the unsaved, the ones who take the mark of the beast, and the announcement to the ones that are saved. All right, lastly, real quickly, let's finish chapter 14 uh, about the time of Armageddon, the time of the coming of Christ to deal with the armies of the Antichrist. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man. This is verse 14, chapter 14. One like a son of man having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple and crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour... Because the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he said, he said, and he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, who, the one who had power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, "'Put in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because our grapes are ripe.'" And the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. This is the same thing that happens in chapter 19 when Christ comes back, and he says in verse 17... I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, that in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who set up on the horse and against his army. So here we're talking about the Antichrist is going to assemble all his armies and all his people and all his, his troops into northern Israel. Then they're going to, when the, the, the one, part of the remnant flees into the wilderness, he's going to send part of his armies into the wilderness, probably in southern Jordan, probably to the city of Petra, the, the area that's called Basra in the Old Testament. So you've got the people of Israel fleeing into the wilderness. You've got people scattering around the world, but you've got the Antichrist bringing his armies into northern Israel to fight against the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's got his armies scattered from the Valley of Jezreel all the way to Petra. And if you look on the map, it's about 200 miles from the valley of Jezreel down through Jerusalem over to Petra. And when Christ comes back, you you see what happens in Zechariah. Same thing that happened in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But they got that from Zechariah. Zechariah 14. And this, in verse 12, now this will be the plague which, which, with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. And it will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall upon them. They will seize one another's hand, and, and the hand of one another will be lifted against one another, and Judah will also fight. Okay, so here what happens is the Lord comes back, and it says that the armies of the Antichrist, their flesh will actually melt off of their bodies, and the blood will flow freely it won't be a wound that clots it will be their blood will flow and the blood will flow up the horse's bridle from the jezreel valley all the way to petra where the armies of the antichrist are assembled they're going to be all destroyed in a moment when christ comes back and boom so the great battle of the this is what's called in in revelation In Revelation 16, verse 14, when it says, uh, when we get to the point about Armageddon, it says, the spirits of demons and performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. The Antichrist says it's the war to defeat God and his son. But it's actually the war that God has already claimed the victory. And it's just to gather the armies so they they can be killed. So that... Is the proclamations that go out in the book of in Revelation 14, right after the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, so that the announcement is made before the final three and a half year judgments flow out, and before the kingdom of the Antichrist can take its full force and power and and pour out its wrath, the announcement is made that it will all fail, that Jesus Christ is victorious. Okay? All right. Any questions, real quick? Yeah, I tried to ask this question last night on Zechariah. Um, the chart is kind of an overview of the, what's happening in the whole world, but Zechariah like There's a lot of different prophecies in Zechariah. We'll, we'll have to break them out individually when they take place. And I don't want to do it right now because it's too complicated because you have different facets of what happens during the book of Zechariah that happen at different times, and we'll have to put them together in a sequence when we get to the uh, 75-day understanding of what happens at the end of the tribulation. So let me do it then, and I will explain it then. Okay. All right. uh, Next week, we will look at the scene in heaven that takes place during the second half prior to the last series of judgments called the seven bowl judgments. And this brings about the end. So we'll talk about that next week when we get to, to chapter uh, 15. All right, let me pray. Then if you got one or two questions, then we got to get over there. Father, we thank you for your, our time together. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us about your, your, the events that you're going to allow to take place on the earth to prepare the earth for the unveiling, for the birth of the kingdom age that you have purpose to bring so that Israel might be saved, that that the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham would be completed. And Lord, we thank you for the understanding that you've given us about all these things that are going to take place, preparing for your coming and being the King of kings and Lord of lords and showing us what it was supposed to have been like for man to have dominion on this earth. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.